Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. We are continuing our series, The Incomparable Christ. There is none to compare with our Lord Jesus. None. He is incomparable in so many ways. In fact, he is incomparable in every way. No one is as loving as our Lord is loving. No one is as holy as our Lord is holy. And we're looking at the incomparable Christ for the purpose of understanding him in a greater and deeper way, because the more we understand our Lord Jesus, the more we fall in love with Him. And the more we love Him, the richer our worship will be. And again, our emphasis this year is loving Jesus personally. And to love Him personally means to know Him intimately. And so we are focusing and have been focusing this year on the Lord Jesus seeking to understand Him in a greater way, see Him in some new ways, perhaps differently than we've seen Him before, and in so doing, fall in deeper love with Him and experience ever deeper levels of worship and obedience. Now, last week, we saw Jesus as the most humble one. No person in all of human history has experienced the humiliation that Jesus Christ experienced. Although he existed as very God of very God, he emptied himself and became nothing. He became in reality a bondservant. He took on the likeness an appearance of an ordinary man, and he further humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a shameful, painful cross. No person who's ever walked this planet has experienced such humiliation. Today, we're going to see the incomparable Christ who is incomparable not only in his humility, but also he is incomparable in his exaltation. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2, where last week we saw the first part of this passage where Paul deals with Christ's humiliation. Now Paul deals with Christ's exaltation from the cellar to the attic, all in one passage. Now, I will begin reading in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 5, the part we looked at last week, so that we again can see the depth of his humiliation. And then I will make note when we turn the corner in verse 9, and Paul begins to talk about his exhortation. Now, in respect for the Word of God, would you stand as I read? Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He reached the depth of humiliation in his death as sin bearer on that shameful cross. Now Paul turns the corner. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing and most of all the obeying of his word. In today's passage... We are going to answer three questions about Christ's exaltation. First, why did God exalt the Lord Jesus? And then secondly, how did God exalt the Lord Jesus? And then the third question we will answer is, what will be the result of the Father's exaltation of the Lord Jesus? First question, why did God exalt the Lord Jesus? Paul in verse 9 says, for this reason also, God highly exalted him. For this reason also. What reason is he talking about? He's talking about what he's just been talking about, and that is the humiliation of Christ. And so Paul is saying the reason that God has exalted Jesus is because Jesus was humbled. Because he was willing to humble himself, therefore God has exalted him. Here we see a biblical principle that's throughout Scripture. First humiliation, then exaltation. Jesus, one day talking about the arrogance of the Pharisees, states this principle in Matthew 23, when he says, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. The biblical principle is humiliation and then exaltation. The problem is you and I want the exaltation, but we don't want the humiliation, now do we? But the biblical principle says there must first be the humiliation. You see, we want God's enabling power, that is His grace, but we do not want the humility that must come first. Over in 1 Peter chapter 5, the Scripture states this principle. For God is opposed to the proud, but who does He give grace to? Who does he give his enabling power to? The humble. Again, first humiliation, then exaltation. I remember God really driving this truth home to me back in the last century, back in the 1980s. I've been waiting to say that for eight years. Back in the last century, back in the 1980s, 
I went to Chile with uh, about 16 or 17 other Southern Baptist preachers with the Foreign Mission Board to preach revivals throughout Central and Southern Chile. In the town that I was in, uh, there were probably about nine or ten other Baptist preachers, and we were in various churches in that town. Now, all the other preachers were staying in a missionary house with their missionary translators, American missionary translators. But there was one in our group who was not with the other group who had hot running water, but he stayed with his Chilean pastor as his translator. He stayed in the home of a church member in probably one of the poorest sections of that town where chickens frequented the floor in our bedroom and around the house, who I woke up one morning with little red dots on my pajamas and my Chilean translator says, oh, those are flea bites. I was there saying, Lord, why me? You know, all the other guys over there fellowshipping with each other, you know, having a good time with the missionaries. They got hot water to take showers. I'm stuck over here, no hot water. I take a shower, it's got to be a cold shower. I'm over here with these people that don't speak much English. I mean, the people we're saying we spoke no English. Translator spoke a little English. Chilean, no. Foreign land, foreign people, fleas, chickens running all around. You could smell the, the raw sewage out the windows. And I was thinking, Lord, why me? And it was just like a... Epiphany, God said, so I can give you grace. I'm humbling you. I'm putting you in this situation so I can give you more grace. Now, when we got together at the end of those two weeks, all the pastors who had gone, we got together to share about our revivals that we were involved in. And of all the guys who were there, Though I was not in the larger church, not the largest church by any means, but because God had chosen to give me the privilege of being humbled, although I resisted it at first, He poured out more grace on me, and we had the second highest number of conversions of any of the other churches during that time of revival. And when I was sitting there, we were all giving our reports and talking about how God had worked Again, God just confirmed for me. He said, see, if you had not been humbled, if I had not put you in that situation, you would not have seen the grace and the results. But you see, we want the results, but we don't want to be humbled. But Jesus experienced such humiliation that God exalted him to such heights. None has had more grace upon him than the Lord Jesus did when he walked on this earth. Why? Because none has been humbled as much as the Lord Jesus was humbled. You remember in John's Gospel, in the first chapter, he says, And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus had such 
power of God in him because of his depth of humiliation. No one has been used by God as mightily as Jesus because none has suffered the humiliation that Jesus suffered. First, humiliation, then exaltation. And because Jesus experienced such depths of humiliation, He also experienced the heights of exaltation. Paul says in verse 9, For this reason also, because He was so humbled, God highly exalted Him. Now you see those two words, highly exalted. Now in the New Testament Greek, that's only one word. It's the word exalt. And then it's a prefix added to it that means above. It means over. It means beyond. And so what Paul is saying is, it means to exalt to the highest rank power. To raise to supreme majesty. Now I think it's interesting that this is the only place in the entire New Testament that this word is used. No other place. Why is that? I believe that the Holy Spirit, when He wanted to express that Jesus was incomparable in His exaltation, that no one has ever or will ever be exalted to the degree that the Lord Jesus has been exalted, He reserves this one word to be used of Jesus and no one else. In all of Scripture. Though there were different writers of the New Testament. There was the Apostle John. There was Matthew. There was Mark. There was Luke. There was Peter. There was uh, James. I mean, you have various writers in the New Testament. Written at various times. Anywhere from 50 A.D. to 90 A.D. But the Holy Spirit kept any of those writers from ever using this word because he wanted us to know that this word and this word was reserved for the Lord Jesus Christ who was exalted above all. Paul is writing of Jesus's super eminent exaltation. So why did God exalt the Lord Jesus? Because Jesus was so humbled. Second question. How did God supereminently exalt the Lord Jesus? We're going to see three things. First, in His resurrection. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, we read this. Who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Christ reached the depth of His humiliation with His death on the cross. And it was at that point, after His death, that God began to exalt Him. And the first step of His exaltation was His resurrection from the dead. Paul says He was declared to be the Son of God with power through His resurrection. First, He was declared before all creation that He was no mere man, but He was the Son of God. No mere man, because His resurrection was unique. Now, there were others 
who came back to life from the dead. Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead, right? He brought the widow named son back from the dead. He brought that little girl back from the dead. But they had to die again. See, they were brought back, but they had to die. They didn't defeat death. But when Jesus came alive from the dead, He will never experience death again. That's what sets Him apart from all others in human history. Everyone else must die. But Jesus died and now lives again. And so when God raised Him from the dead, He was exalting Him by declaring that He was no mere man, but He was God-man, the Son of God. Secondly, when God raised Him from the dead, He was declaring that Jesus had defeated sin and death. Sin equals death. The Bible says a soul that sins shall surely die. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's why you and I all die, because we all are sinful. It's a visible reminder of our inward corruption that we all die. Sin equals death. If Adam and Eve had not sinned, there would not be death. But when they sinned, death entered into God's creation. So sin equals death. When Jesus bore the sins of His elect on the cross, and that resulted in His death because when He became sin, He had to bear the penalty of sin, which is death. Now, if His death had not completely satisfied every sin of His elect, If one single sin of his people could cling and hold and stay on him, he could not have been resurrected from the dead. Because that sin would have equaled death. Am I making sense? Sin equals death. And therefore, if Jesus had had any sin hang on him, remain on him, if his blood had not covered every sin of his people then he would have still been sinful and he could not have defeated death. He would have stayed dead. But when God brought him alive from the dead, when he defeated death, never to die again, God was declaring before all of the universe that Jesus' payment was complete and absolutely sufficient for all, every single sin of his people. Not one single sin remained on the Lord Jesus, but it was satisfied. It was paid. And therefore, He came alive from the dead because He was no longer sin, but He was righteousness. And He is never to die again. And so His exaltation began when Jesus, when God raised Him from the dead, declaring Him to be the Son of God and declaring His payment for the sins of His people to be absolute and sufficient. The second step of His exaltation was His ascension into heaven. God exalted Jesus by giving Him supreme dignity, power, rank, and authority. Paul goes on to say, God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name. 
Name in the Hebrew culture stood for rank. It stood for dignity. It stood for position. For instance, over in Psalm 113, verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. What is the exaltation here when he says, Praise the name of the Lord? Well, he means praise the majesty of the Lord. Praise the dignity of the Lord. Praise the supremacy of the Lord. Praise the person of the Lord. And so the term name refers to a person's dignity and rank and majesty. And so when it says that God bestowed on him the name above every name, it says God is giving to Jesus the rank, the privilege, the position, the majesty above all. Over in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talks about this same thing and he gives us a little more explanation of it there. In Ephesians 1, in verse 20, he says, Which he brought about in Christ, he's speaking of God the Father, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. The right hand was the place, the position of honor, the position of respect. When a king would allow someone to sit at his right hand, that was the greatest honor and respect that anyone could have. That was reserved only for the one that the king bestowed greatest respect and honor upon. So when Paul says, now, God the Father took Jesus up into heaven and he placed him at his right hand, he is saying that God the Father gave to Jesus the supreme respect and honor and dignity and none can compare to his honor. He is exalted above all. And then he goes on to say in verse 21, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Paul is saying that Jesus is exalted far above all spiritual beings. Far above, he says, every name that is named. Every person that is named. Every other person's rank. Majesty, honor, Jesus has been placed far above all of those. The Father has exalted Him far above all of those. And then Paul says, in case I'm not being clear enough, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Not only has God the Father exalted the Lord Jesus as supreme authority, supreme respect and honor in the universe for this age, but also He has exalted Him above all for eternity. None has been exalted as the Lord Jesus has been exalted. So he was exalted first in his resurrection, next in his ascension into heaven at the right hand of the Father, 
when he was given the position as supreme ruler of the universe. And then thirdly, Paul is saying that God will exalt the Lord Jesus in his return to earth in great glory and power. You see, when Jesus first came to earth, it was a humble coming to earth. He was born as a baby. He was born in a manger. He was in an average family. But His second coming will be anything but humble. He will return as the exalted, glorified Christ, the ruler of the universe. That will be that great shout of the archangel. That will be heard around the earth. There will be that great trumpet sound. And the scripture says that the sky will split open and roll back on itself like a scroll. And as the lightning goes from the east to the west and is seen by all, that every person on earth will behold the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be an event like human history has never seen before. And... This return of Christ will bring the final stage of His exaltation as He is universally recognized as the Sovereign Lord God Almighty. You see, when Jesus ascended into heaven, God exalted Him and gave Him the position of Supreme Lord God Almighty. But His exaltation will reach its consummation when He is recognized. See, He has the position right now. But is He recognized by all as the supreme Lord God Almighty? No. We talked about a few weeks ago, there are over 4 billion people on this planet that do not recognize Jesus as the sovereign Lord God Almighty. But on that day when He returns, Paul says, He will be recognized as the supreme Lord God Almighty. Paul says, every knee will bow. So that the na- at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. The bended knee speaks of obeyance, of respect, of worship. And then Paul says three different classifications of created beings will fall and worship Him. First, those in heaven. There we have the cherubim and the seraphim, the angelic host. There we have Christians who've died and gone into heavenly places who are there even now. Now all of these will joyfully... They will enthusiastically bow and worship Jesus at His return. Then Paul adds a second class. And those who are on earth. All human beings now. There will be Christians on earth when Christ returns. They will joyfully bow before Him. But there will also be unbelievers on earth when Christ returns. Not willingly. Not joyfully. But remorsefully, they will bow and recognize Jesus as the supreme Lord God Almighty. 
And then Paul adds the third group, those under the earth. Here he's speaking of Satan and his demons, of unbelievers who have died and gone to torment. They will have no choice but to bow at the sight of Jesus and acknowledge His supreme worth. You see, Christ's ultimate exaltation will come when every intelligent created being in the universe openly acknowledges and proclaims the sovereign lordship of Jesus. Paul says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Satan will confess Jesus is Lord. Hitler will confess Jesus is Lord. All the demons will confess Jesus is Lord. The Antichrist will confess Jesus is Lord. Saddam Hussein will confess Jesus is Lord. And for the Christians, this will be a refrain that we will joyfully shout throughout eternity. But for those who are unbelievers, stubborn in their rebellion against God, they will have no choice. They will recognize and acknowledge Jesus is Lord. Now the history behind this statement, Paul has in mind in the Roman times that the Roman citizens would have to go once a year and say, Caesar is Lord. Christians wouldn't do it. As a result of that, many were killed. And Paul saying, oh, there's coming a day, Christians, when everybody who's ever lived is going to bow down and acknowledge that your God, your Jesus, is Lord. And then the exaltation of Jesus will be reaching its consummation. So how did the Father God exalt the Lord Jesus in His resurrection, in His ascension into heaven at His right hand, and at His return? Now what will be the result of Christ's exaltation? Paul tells us, Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God will be glorified. The purpose of everything is to glorify God. When Jesus is exalted, God the Father will be exalted. When Jesus is glorified, God the Father will be glorified. They have such an intimate relationship. When you glorify one, you glorify the other. When you exalt one, you exalt the other. Do you see the rightness of this? The Holy Spirit bears witness in our spirit that this is right. This is the way it should be. When the Son is exalted, the Father is glorified. When we recognize Jesus' exaltation, we recognize His Lordship, the Father is glorified. Do you want to glorify God this morning? Would you like to glorify Him? We'll acknowledge the exaltation of Jesus. We can glorify our Father in heaven. 
You don't have to wait until that day when He returns. We can do it today. We can exalt Him as a sovereign Lord God of the universe today. We can recognize the position that He holds today. I want us to spend just some time in silence. You and the Lord, okay? And you just exalt the Lord Jesus in your heart and mind before God. Let me just walk you through it. Father, we're coming before you now just to glorify you as we exalt the Lord Jesus. Adore the Lord Jesus as the resurrected one for a moment. As that perfect sacrifice for our sins. As the victor over death and sin. Just lift up words of adoration and praise to Him. Now worship Him as the exalted Jesus who is sitting at the right hand of God above all. Worship Him as the supreme ruler of the universe. Worship Him as your Lord. Every knee shall bow. Are you willing to bow before Him this morning? Let's go ahead and bow. If you can, if you're physically able, right where you are, would you just bow? Bend the knee before the Lord Jesus. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Will you confess that right now out loud? Just say, Jesus is Lord. His majesty unto Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise. Majesty, 
kingdom authority flow from his throne unto his own his anthem raise so exalt lift up on high the name of Jesus magnify Come glorify Christ Jesus the King. Majesty, worship His majesty. Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings. Worship His majesty Unto Jesus Be all glory, honor, and praise Majesty Kingdom authority Flow from His throne Unto his own, his anthem raise. So exalt, lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus the King. Majesty, worship His majesty. Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings. All right, let's all stand and continue to sing to our Lord. Worship His majesty Unto Jesus Be all glory, honor, and praise Majesty Kingdom authority Flow from His throne unto His own, His anthem rings. So exalt, lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus. Jesus the King, majesty, worship His majesty, Jesus who 
Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings. We're going to give you an opportunity this morning to respond as the Holy Spirit is dealing with you. If you need to come and pray, feel free to do so. You've never come to that place in your life where you surrender to Jesus as your Lord. One day you will confess Jesus as Lord. Will you do it today? You can benefit from the eternal life that will be offered you. Or will you wait until you have no choice? That your experience will be eternal suffering and agony. Will you recognize Jesus as Lord today? As your Savior? You step forward if this is your heart's desire. I'll be glad to share with you. All you need to know to recognize and confess Jesus as Lord. We continue to sing, step out in obedience to the Lord.